Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, dairy cow reproduction expert Stephen Butler gives practical tips on managing cow's energy balance in the first few weeks of lactation. So from a, from a cow perspective, things change dramatically the day she calves. So she's going from a stage in late pregnancy where intakes are naturally declining for the last week or so of, of pregnancy feed intake will naturally decline. But now the mammary gland starts working and the cow needs to have a fairly rapid uptake in her dry matter intake. Um, things that affect that, in, the biggest thing is cow intake or cow uh, body condition score the t- at around the time of calving. So body condition score is a key driver. We want cows to calve somewhere between 3 and 3.25. If all cows are in that range, that's good news for the cow. If they're over-conditioned, that is bad news. That's bad for their uh, appetite and their potential intake post-calving. It's also uh, bad for, for their risk of metabolic disorders, which I think we'll, we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Uh, but if they're under-conditioned at that time, they may well have a good appetite, but it's not good for the cow in terms of her future potential performance. If you could put a figure on it in terms of kilos of dry matter that you'd expect maybe a heifer and, and a mature cow to take in, in in those first few days after calving. Obviously, it's quite variable, but if we're talking about a cow with a peak intake during during uh, the midsummer of, of 18 kilos, dry matter intake in the first weeks after calving may well be rising from as low as 8 kilos dry matter in the immediate days after calving, Getting up to twelve, gradually up to fifteen, up to eighteen. But that's that that it takes, you know, it takes cows up to sixteen weeks to get up to that 18, 18 kilo dry matter intake potential. And for a heifer, obviously, you're going to be maybe twenty five percent down on that again. And and then when we compare intake with energy demand, so you you've explained the cow is in a state now where her mammary glands are beginning to to function again. Uh, she's back in the milking herd. What sort of energy demand, if again, if you could express it in, in terms of kilos of dry matter, would she require if her if she was to be in equilibrium at that stage? So the energy balance idea is quite simple, really. The cow must have sufficient energy intake to meet maintenance. That's just the basic energy requirement to keep the cells in the body alive. So that, that that's what maintenance is, and the cow absolutely must meet that first. The next energy draw for the cow at that time is milk production. And negative energy balance simply means that the cow is expending more energy on maintenance plus milk production than she's taking in in the diet. And the duration that that goes on for and the severity of it, the severity of this negative energy balance can be detrimental to to the cow in terms of her health, in terms of metabolic um, disorders, uh, but also in terms of condition loss and subsequent performance during the, during the, the, the breeding season, which isn't too far away from, from calving time. Um, so in, in, in terms of energy output, we, we, we know obviously that that's highly variable between cows. So some cows are going to calve and have a very rapid increase in milk production, particularly older cows. So the old, old animals in a herd have a, have a much more rapid onset of milk production. Uh, heifers have a, a much more gradual increase, increase in milk production. So they don't, they don't, they don't reach peak milk production until much further out into established lactation. So you've mentioned, you know, breeding season is not too far down the track once cows have calved. In terms of cows, they've entered the milking herd. There's also a focus on resumption of cyclicity. So from calving, how long does it take for a cow to resume cyclicity on average? Okay, so after calving, there's two key reproductive events that a cow has to has to has to meet. One is the resumption of cyclicity. Um, it is normal for cows to, for the ovaries of a cow to start working pretty normally again in terms of developing follicles within a week to 10 days after calving. The earliest opportunity for an ovulation is going to be roughly two to three weeks post-calving. Um, a lot of cows don't do that. Maybe half will ovulate that first follicle wave. 
on average, cows are generally cycling by about 30 days post-calving. Now, it becomes a problem if they're not cycling by 60 days postpartum. That's, that, 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 we consider that to be an anestrous cow, and those cows will often need, need some sort of treatment to, to get them going again. Uh, the risk for an anestrous cow, you know, those are, those are thin cows in the herd, um, cows, cows that had metabolic problems in the immediate postpartum period. Um, so we need to obviously minimize, minimize the incidence of those disorders to, to allow cows to have a prompt resumption of cyclicity. And from some recent large-scale studies we've, we've done in, in Moorpark and, and from other studies around the world, we know that prompt resumption of cyclicity, so cows that are already uh, cycling by, by three weeks post-calving, those are the cows that are going to have better reproductive performance when the breeding season begins. It's beneficial for uterine health. Uh, it gives them more cycles before the breeding season begins. And then when, when the breeding season does come around, those cows are going to have strong heats and a good likelihood of conception during the first three weeks of the breeding season. So the second thing I touched on there in terms of the postpartum period is uterine health. So obviously, up until the day the cow calves, the, the uterus is 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 uh, holding the calf. The calf is in there. But as soon as the calf is out, the, the uterus has to go and undergo a process of involution, which means it has to get smaller again and has to get ready for the next pregnancy. And we want to avoid infection. So, so cows that have an infection in that three-week period postpartum, they are also at risk of poorer fertility in the in the in the in the following calving in the following breeding season. Um, so what are the risk factors for for uterine disease? So big ones include things like retained fetal membranes, other metabolic problems in in the postpartum period. So things like milk fever, ketosis, those cows, not that they're directly linked, but there seems to be a suppression of immune function and as a result of that those cows then have a have a prolonged period of um, recovery, uterine recovery, and it, it, it just you know it, it would show up in, in terms of um, vaginal discharge scores and, and things that are um, fairly obvious to a farmer that things are not quite right with, with, with some of these cows. And I can, I mean, you, you've identified the two key areas, resumption of cyclicity and uterine involution. Now, management of the cow pre-calving, such as, you know, ensuring that they're in the correct condition score to calve down and ensuring they get the correct minerals in during the dry period. You know, they're all things now that we can't change. So if on farm we haven't done those correctly, you know, we're not going to change it right now. The cow has calved at this stage. But in the first 30 days uh, post-calving, you know, to ensure that, you know, we can avoid an infection or we, you know, that the cow will resume cyclicity. Is there any key practices that farmers should ensure they carry out in order to make there's no barriers to resumption of cyclicity? Um, so like, as, you, as you quite rightly said, um, once the cow is calved, a lot of the potential management interventions have, have, have been missed. The key one being calving down as right body condition score. But having said that, you know, once the cow is calved, the onus has to be on minimizing metabolic problems because they and themselves are going to throw the cow into further negative energy balance. And that, that's obviously going to prolong the anestrous period. If cows are in negative energy balance, the longer that goes on for, the longer the cow is going to stay anestrous. So from a management perspective, you know, minimizing the incidence of, of milk fever, that's one you could say that the, the ship has already sailed for that. But if a cow has a metabolic problem, any, 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 any disorder at all, very prompt treatment of that is going to be beneficial for the cow. The simple reason being that a cow that gets one problem is now much more likely to get a second problem or a third problem. And obviously, the more problems a cow has in, the, in, in that first three to four weeks after calving, those are, those are um, going to have negative effects on, on, on the time it takes for her to resume cyclicity. And, and let's delve into that a little bit, yeah. Stephen. So you've mentioned, uh, you know, previously uh, milk fever, ketosis. Are these the main metabolic diseases that you're seeing post-calving or are there other ones that kind of come to light? 
Yeah, well, those would be the, the, the two main metabolic problems, I guess. Um, so, you know, a lot of the, the issues around milk fever are the, the nutritional management of the cow in the last four to six weeks pre-calving. Um, so we have a, a largely grass-based diet here, and as a consequence of that, during the, the, the dry period, it's largely a rye grass-based silage diet. And the problem occurs because rye grass naturally likes to have about... It likes to have high levels of potassium in the in the in the leaf, much higher than what the cow requirements are. So if you've got very high potassium silage, that has implications for calcium homeostasis in the cow, her ability to maintain normal calcium levels um, after calving. So so milk fever is very simply the cow can't regulate her own calcium concentrations. So the the nutritional management has to from the from the dry period management perspective, trying to plan in advance that you're going to have some amount of silage that isn't excessively high in potassium, so so less than two and a half percent potassium. Try and make or try and try and organize the the, the the silage production process to have some silage that's going to be suitable to feed to cows in the last four weeks pre-calving, and that will be beneficial. Also, feeding, um, making sure there's no no extra calcium in the in the dry cow mineral, and providing extra magnesium in that dry cow mineral. So those those are some simple things that should be routine for farmers at this point to, to try and minimize the incidence of milk fever. But if milk fever does happen, very prompt treatment. So 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 you know catching it early giving the cow uh, that bottle of calcium borate leuconate early, uh, older cows making a decision that if cows are parity three or older, they're all getting a calcium bolus as soon as we see them after calving. That's going to, old, milk fever is much more common in older cows, heifers rarely get it. So, so, so older cows, higher producing cows are more at risk of uh, milk fever. The same is true actually of jerseys and jersey crossbreds, they're, they're more at risk than, than host and Frisian cows. So, so, so prompt intervention where there's a risk or where there's an actual case of milk fever is going to be beneficial. And in, in, in taking a step further, you've identified at the type of cow that t- typically gets it on a dairy farm. But to take it a step further, if a cow has milk fever last year, are they more likely to get it this year? Is there something in that? Yeah, there is. I mean, and, and some of that might well be genetic. There's, there's, there's some genetic aspect to that perhaps. But um, yeah, if cows have it last year, they're more like, they are in the population of cows that are likely to get it again. So so um, whether that's simply giving the cow a calcium bolus or giving some calcium under the skin as a, as a, as a preventative to stop it happening, the big risk period is in that, is in that two to three period, two to three day period immediately after calving. And where a cow gets milk fever, what are the metabolic diseases that she's more likely to get in, in the weeks after calving? So there, it's not even just metabolic diseases. When a cow has milk fever, she is uh, essentially paralyzed cow. They, they they don't eat, but the, the 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 drive of the cow is still to produce milk. So where is that energy for that milk coming from? It's all mobilized energy. So the cows are mobilizing fat from body reserves. Um, that's going to cause a, a large increase in fatty acids in, in the bloodstream. They are taken up by the liver, so the cow is now more at risk of getting fatty liver. If they get fatty liver, they're very much at risk of getting ketosis. So there's a very direct link there between... Anything that causes the cow to go off feed, mobilizing fat, increases the risk of fatty liver, in turn increasing the risk of ketosis. It also increases the risk of retained fetal membranes. So so there's a it's not a direct link, but cows that have milk fever, because of the consequences of that, there's a failure to expel the placenta in a timely manner. If they don't do that, they're now more likely to get metritis and get sick from that as well. If they get sick from metritis, if they get sick from ketosis, they're now at risk of displaced abomasum. So, so you can see that they all knock on from each other. So anything that causes the cow to be off feed during that immediate two to three period post-calving is now a risk factor for multiple other 
problems. And taking a step further, you've mentioned ketosis. Can you explain exactly what ketosis is and maybe the, I suppose, the telltales of a cow that has ketosis on a farm this spring? Ketosis occurs when a cow mobilizes body reserves, specifically fat from from, from uh, fat depots around the body. There's a big increase in fatty acids in the bloodstream. They're taken up by the liver. And if it's, a, if it's in a small amount, that's okay. But if there's a large amount of fat mobilized, the liver becomes overwhelmed by, by the amount of fat that's arriving. And it can't metabolize all of it. The liver was, is, is not designed to deal with large amounts of fat coming in. So some of it will be, will be burnt for energy, which can be useful. But if the, if, the, if the liver is overwhelmed with the influx of fatty acids, it partially metabolizes it and makes ketone bodies. So there's, there's, there's a few different ones. The main, the main one, I guess, that we measure in, in research studies is beta-hydroxybutyrate. But that can be increased markedly when cows are mobilizing a lot of fat. Um, the telltale sign is uh, there's, there's kind of a sweet smell off the cow's breath. And that's because of the acetoacetone that's increased in the bloodstream as well. So, so that's, that's the telltale sign. But from a cow, looking at a cow, the cows are dull. They're off form. They're, they tend to be recumbent. Um, sometimes they're, they're, they're almost paralyzed like a milk fever cow. Um, but they're, they're, they're very much off form. Um, the big risk factor for it, of course, again, is overconditioned cows. If cows have too much condition after calving, the drive is there to produce milk. If they're overconditioned, they have poor appetite. So if the drive to produce milk is there, but they have poor appetite, the cows are now much more reliant on mobilized body reserves, and that causes a big increase in, in, in fatty acids in circulation, predisposing the cow now to, to ketosis. And and finally, Stephen, so you've mentioned we're going to um, say in order to minimise the metabolic problems, you know, prompt treatment for any cows. Is there anything else in terms of the feeding of these cows in order to, you know, get them past this tricky first three to four weeks post-calving? Well, I mean, trying to get the cows to to, to, to be on a a pretty steady plane of nutrition during the dry period. So you you really want to have the cows on, on on a good level of intake but avoiding overconditioning, right? So, so th- th- there's a playoff there. But once they calve, these cows need to be on, on, on good quality feed. And if it's, if it's early in the calving season, good quality silage, concentrate in the diet. If it's later, you know, introducing them to grass and, and getting that in- intake capacity up. This, this can be very tricky. I mean, weather plays a big role in terms of the, the amount of grass a cow can actually consume. Grass availability varies a lot from year to year, right? So, so th- th- this can be a very tricky um, proposal. But if there is deficits in silage quality, if there's deficits in grass supply, then you must make it up by other means. But where, where cows become hungry and where cows are not taking in adequate intake, you're, you're, you're disposing the cows to increase risk of these metabolic problems. Thank you, Stephen. I think you've given us a good indication of what we can look out for on the farm over the next three to four weeks as cows are calving down. Um, minimise problems and and act quickly where their problems arise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Stephen Butler for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.